0: Are you a new or aspiring woman leader that wants to make a successful leap into leadership? Do you want to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so that you can become the kind of leader other people want to follow? Welcome to The Leadership Leap, a show that is all about helping women to become more confident about making the leap into leadership. Now, here is your host, Leanne Pico.
1: Hey there, welcome to the Leadership Leap. I'm Leanne Pico, your host, and happy International Women's Day, week, month. Very exciting. Uh, say, I want to say some thank yous for my guests from last time. So, thank you to Maria Fudas, who is here talking about what being assertive means and why it's so important for new and aspiring women leaders particularly. And Michelle Bevan was also here with her segment, What's Your EQ? And she gave us some really great tips for managing the gap we sometimes find ourselves in between learning about emotional intelligence and actually implementing it. So if you didn't get a chance to listen to that show, you can check it out on the Leadership Leap show page and you can also download it in your favorite podcast provider. Make sure you subscribe so you have access to all the shows okay so today international women's day and women's history month so you know I have a confession in the past I sometimes struggled with the idea that we had to have a day and a month dedicated to women And when I was a young feminist, I was super frustrated by the fact that we actually needed this kind of acknowledgement when we're half the population. It seemed crazy. Um, But in recent years, I've really better understood what this is about. And I've seen a shift in how we address it as well. Um, It's become a lot more like pride, I think. It started as a protest or as a way to acknowledge um, challenges in the world and kind of highlight them. But we've also made it a time of celebration. And I've seen it all over the place um, in the last few years where we just have nice women's events to celebrate the day, celebrate our accomplishments and celebrate how far we actually come. So, I've shifted my thinking on International Women's Day, and I've shifted my thinking on on why this is so important. I always knew it was important. I think I was just a little grumpy that we needed it. So, like I say, you know what? As we get older, we recognize social change is slow. But at the same time, we get to have these periods of time where we can celebrate and acknowledge the good things that are happening. So, it's more than fitting that I have two of my all-time favorite women here on the show with me today, and it's an, a very interesting one. Christina Sakifio will be here with her segment The Inclusion Zone, and we will be talking about code-switching and how it particularly impacts women of color. Not sure what that is? That's okay. If you stick around, you'll be able to find out. So, but first, we're going to have our "Who Thought It Best" segment, and this is the segment where we don't care what you wear; we care what you think. Also, seems very important on the the week of International <laughs> Women's Day. Uh, we still seem to have a lot of coverage of what women are wearing uh, going on, rather than what they how they're contributing to the world. So, um, this also feels good to have this segment today. So we don't um, we don't care what you wear; we care what you think. And we care what you do and we care how you lead. And that's what we're going to talk today about. So we have Tina De La Santos, our communications strategist and the owner of Lure Communications, here to talk about great leadership stuff that she's found. Uh, Tina does our curation and our content sharing and is particularly active on our LinkedIn page. We'd love to have you come check it out, follow us. We, uh, Tina's always finding really good stuff and cur- she curates and comments. And um, it's so easy. Just go to the LinkedIn page, Leadership Leap. And so Tina, what have you got for us this week? Welcome Welcome to the show. I should say welcome welcome. first. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Thank you. I feel welcomed, especially by that intro.
1: And you are also
2: one of my favorite women.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. So just to (laughs) say, I, I think people can probably tell I have a little bit of a cold, not a virus, don't panic everybody and it's the radio so we're all okay it's all okay (laughs) i wash my hands and everything um so um so i have a little bit of a cold today so sorry about that um my voice is a little bit shaky and if i disappear quickly um i've made a a promise with tina that i will just go on silent have my coughing fit and tina will keep you entertained in the meantime so thank you for that tina as well (laughs) no problem no problem (laughs) Okay, so what what interesting thing have you found this week that you want to talk about? Well, it's funny. So it's an article that I shared to our
2: uh, LinkedIn page, the Leadership Leap's LinkedIn page earlier in the week, and it's called Women Are Natural Servant Leaders But Need Encouragement to Take on the Role. Now, when I first um, saw this title, I was a little tiffed uh, because I, I don't love any kind of um, framing where they put women um, as naturally good at anything because it yeah, just opens yeah. the door to reinforcing stereotypes, right? Like m- women are natural caregivers or naturally bad at math or <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah, but for sure. If we, kind of, if we just kind of take the premise as um, kind of women um, are a product of the world that we live in, that we've been socialized in, and then kind of take the premise um, from that kind of value –
1: then I think there's something to be learned from it. Do you know what I mean? I do. I do. And you know what? It's so interesting you say that because I've watched that a lot recently, Um, just how headlines are so positioned, um, sometimes politically, sometimes socially. And it it, it can actually, it it makes me wonder sometimes about the people who are writing the copy for the headlines and how aware they are of the actual kind of environment they're writing in. That's
2: right, and honestly, what they really want to do is for you to click, and I clicked in anger, so
1: you mm-hmm. <laughs> <it> got me. <laughs> yeah, I but guess really- I struggle with this kind of thing being seen as clickbait as well, because it was a Forbes article too, right? It's of course. It's, not it's not like, a like it's a, you know, a, a gossip mag. Exactly,
2: but what the article is really about is... Um, You know, kind of exploring different ways of being uh, a leader. And so, um, you know, if we really want to diversify leaderships that are like leadership positions in our organizations, then we have to look at other ways of being a good leader. Um, and it doesn't just apply to women, but it's all kinds of diversity in our leadership of racial diversity, cultural, and different abilities. Um, different, all kinds of different identities. Um, Because, you know, with diversity, you have different viewpoints at the table. And we all know this, that that diversity uh, organizations that have diverse leadership perform better. It's just, um, and and it's better for the people, ultimately. We're giving more opportunities or we're encouraging more um, space for um, folks that aren't just older white men.
1: Absolutely. And so historically, um, that the kind of the narrative around a leader is uh, you got two stories. One is the natural born leader, using that language again, who is kind of like the always going to be stepping up and always going to be in the lead, and then you also have the reluctant hero, the kind of you know, Clark Kent, okay, I'll be a leader, always that. Superman. Um, and so, there's not a lot of room for different styles of leadership there, and it's certainly not something that um, relates to a word like servant. So, what is servant leadership then? What do they? What? How do they frame it?
2: So, servant leadership. I think it was back in the '70s that the phrase was kind of termed. But today,
1: really, what servant
2: leadership? The traits of servant leadership is that the goal is to serve, and that's the staff, um, the community, the organization. Um, a servant leader also shares power, so it's a little more democratic than sort of this really strong, stiff, hierarchical structure where, you know, commands are given. Rather, it's sort of a shared power within, um, you know, a department or a team. And the needs of the staff team are are the most important to the servant leader. So the idea is that if you're attuned to the staff um, and you're attuned to their needs, then they're better able to perform, because if you're giving the staff, basically, if you're giving the staff what they need to perform, then they'll perform better. So the yeah. focus is on staff development and performance, which is right. very different than the stereotypical leader we think of, right?
1: Yeah, so different. And if I can just share an example from my own history, because um, funnily enough, I, I was uh, as a as a senior leader for over 15 years, I was a servant leader, but it was only... Like about three, four years ago that I had came across the term and knew what it was. I actually just, and I, I hesitate, I'm not going to use the word naturally, but it was a, a way of leading that um, seemed, that worked for me Um in terms of putting that team first but I'll share with you I had this one experience where I was I would um I was a nonprofit leader for a little while and I would go into you know every month you have to report to your boards and I had this one board of directors that had a lot of very young corporate uh, ambitious folk around the table and I remember them saying and this I remember it so clearly because they they didn't often say it there was a lot of change I was doing some change management work with them and doing some transformation work and they were not happy with anything <laughs> that was going on in the world. But anyway, they um congratulated me and said, "Oh, congratulations on this thing that had happened." And I and I looked at them and I said, "Well, thanks everybody." And I said, "It wasn't me, it was the team." And you know, it's right. a thing you say when you're th- when you're that style of leadership, you know, I acknowledge I don't uh, I acknowledge I had a place in it, but um you, you do put forward your team and say they did really great work. And the looks on all of their faces, honestly, I've never, I'll never forget it. They all, their eyes went blank and they went, oh, okay. And then they kept going. And, yeah. so, and yeah. I felt like I wanted to say, wait, wait, like I did something too, um, but they did not get it. They did, yeah. they fundamentally um, were looking for me to take, You know, and and so from that time on, it was a difficult relationship because they they saw me as uh, probably weaker. That's right. And it's true. Like so many women have faced discrimination for their leadership abilities
2: that they tend to exhibit. This is, you know, um, typically, you know, they're caring, they're people focused. And like you did, they share not only sort of share power, but they share um, credit and responsibility. Like we did this as a team. Yes. Right? So we can sort of classify those typical um, uh, leadership abilities that women tend to exhibit as servant leadership, that that thing about sharing credit, caring about your team, and all of that. And the research in this article is um, finding that employees that um, are under, I don't know how else to describe that, but are part of a team with a servant leader, they actually perform a lot better than, than other teams. Yep. And they all well and often because leaders.
1: there's room, yeah. there's room for them for the, the, Sorry to jump in there because I just realized. Cause no, no, I was just yeah. thinking about it. There's room for people to if, if you're giving people credit and supporting them to do their best work, um, by caring about them and and you know, uh, taking their performance and their development seriously, well then they have room to stretch and do do their very best, right? Yeah, and another outcome of that
2: is that by being a servant leader in that way, you're also nurturing the development of more servant leaders.
1: Yes. Right. right. Nice. Because you're emulating. You're
2: nurturing yeah. that quality. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and the, the research in the article showed, like, they, they examined uh, male servant leaders, well, men servant leaders and women servant leaders, and, you know, in bo- both instances where they were, you know, displaying those qualities and those abilities and those traits, the women outperformed the men. So the Hmm. folks uh, working with servant leaders were more engaged, they were more productive, they um, improved their performance, all of that.
1: Okay, I want to just ask a question about that, though, because I I think this is a great article. Um, Sometimes with Forbes, I like the stuff they do, um, but sometimes they're not as deep as maybe some of the other um, places that we get articles. No, they're
2: shorter articles,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so just want to dive into that a little bit, because one of the things that um, I think in, in... thinking about this and thinking about how the article has framed it is that somehow servant leadership is a woman's like, that's a, a woman's way of leading and not all women lead no. as servant leaders. And that doesn't mean that they're bad leaders either. Cause there are a no. lot more women that are um, I, I've met a lot of women who are technically brilliant and lead well. Uh, they wouldn't consider themselves servant leaders uh, at all. Um, so, and I've also met males, servant leaders that lead brilliantly. And so one of the things that I wonder I wonder about is whether the people being led by a male servant leader are uncomfortable with that and maybe
2: I oh, wonder if men get more, I, I wonder
1: if men get pushed yeah. into this box and so then the the people that are led by them anticipate that they should be a certain kind of person.
2: Right, they're subverting a stereotype that makes people uncomfortable. I wonder. Or about not that, just hey? uncomfortable, but like unsure how to take it. I guess is the best way. Like unsure. Or he's not a good leader. Yeah, right? he's
1: yes. not a good leader. He's not. He's not what I think he should be as a leader. Right. We're That's just we're a more
2: Comfortable seeing that kind of leadership with women because it is. It does conform to the stereotypes we have about women.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, we're more comfortable with that than I mean. I saw Catalyst is doing a really cool campaign right now about um, our unconscious bias about women leaders. And, you know, when women are assertive, we're considered, you know, difficult or, you know, there's a whole framing that this occurs within that, that kind of impacts how we're received.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there was, uh, I mean, the article references um, a number of studies and it it does kind of reference one or two that talk about um adjusting the bias for you know how we perceive um men and women leaders for sure
1: yeah okay so the servant leadership thing the other thing and we just got about a minute till break but i'm just wondering very quickly when we talk about servant leadership what do you think of the word servant you know, Did they say anything about have. it, or what do you think? They
2: don't, no, because they're using sort of servant leadership in, you know, capital S, capital L, and yeah. so I do struggle a little bit with that with that word because it pulls on a class structure that um, we're, mm. we're thought to be familiar with. That also makes me uh, uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, that's what I was just wondering, because, and again, even just using the language, I love the the idea of it, and and, you know, yeah. for me as a leader, it's always been the case that I've, Saw, I've seen my role as um, serving the people that I'm leading um, mm. got me in trouble sometimes with the people that are leading me but <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a Hopefully. whole other show and possibly a bottle of wine that we would need for that conversation
2: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely
1: <laughs> but yeah that's okay well we're, we're going to take a break in, a, in, a, in just a little bit and um, we're going to come back with Tina to talk about servant leadership keep talking about it and um, kind of looking a little bit more, if you can, um, I've done a lot of the chatting, so I'll let you bring in some more of the research and see what, what the, um, outcomes are from that. Um, just a reminder that, um, you know, if you're kind of feeling a bit lonely during the week, uh, you know, between the time that you're able to listen to The Leadership Leap or maybe you've binge listened on all the shows and you're waiting and you want to hang out with us, you can do that. You can still hang out with us. You can get a weekly inspiration straight to your inbox from myself and from uh, The Leadership Leap at www.theleadershipleap.net. Just sign up. We'll send it to you every week. Talk to you soon.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: Hi there, this is Liam Picot, the host of The Leadership Leap. Thank you for listening to the show. Before I stepped into my first leadership role, I wasn't sure about becoming a leader. I was worried I didn't have the skills or confidence to do it well. When I did move up, I always say that I attended the What Not To Do School of Leadership as I knew all the things I didn't want to do, but I was less clear about the kind of leader I wanted to be. So I had to learn that the hard way. That's why I created my online leadership program, also called The Leadership Leap. I help new and aspiring women leaders to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so you can avoid some of the mistakes I made and make a more successful leap into leadership. Through over 20 video lessons, monthly group coaching, and homework exercises that help you put the learning into action right away, you will discover who you are as a leader and learn how to inspire others. You will also be part of a growing community of other fabulous new and aspiring leaders just like you. Find out more and sign up to learn with me at leadershipleap.net and use coupon code RADIO for an extra $100 off just for listening. Make the leap into becoming the kind of leader you most want to be. Hi there, this is Liam Picot, the host of The Leadership Leap. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Before I stepped into my first leadership role, I wasn't sure about becoming a leader. I was worried I didn't have the skills or confidence to do it well. When I did move up, I always say that I attended the What Not To Do School of Leadership as I knew all the things I didn't want to do, but I was less clear about the kind of leader I wanted to be. So I had to learn the hard way. That's why I created my online leadership program, also called The Leadership Leap. I help new and aspiring women leaders to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so you can avoid some of the mistakes I made and make a more successful leap into leadership. Through over 20 video lessons, monthly group coaching, and homework exercises that help you put the learning into action right away, You'll discover who you are as a leader and learn how to inspire others. You will also be part of a growing community of other fabulous new and aspiring leaders just like you. Find out more and sign up to learn with me at theleadershipleap.net and use coupon code RADIO for an extra $100 off just for listening. Make the leap into becoming the kind of leader you most want to be.
0: You are listening to The Leadership Leap with Leanne Pico. You can find out more about Leanne and the program at theleadershipleap.net. Don't forget that you can also send in your questions about all things leadership to Leanne at her email address, info at theleadershipleap.net, and we'll try to answer them on the show. Now, back to The Leadership Leap.
1: Hey there, welcome back. I am chatting with Tina De Los Santos of Lure Communications and also our communications queen at The Leadership Leap. Um, Tina's found us a cool article this week, um, unfortunately named, but we got past that, um, to, <laughs> <a> uh, <laughs> I feel bad that they tried, they did try. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, so we're talking about a great article around servant leadership and about, um, thinking about what servant leadership actually means. And so Tina was, you know, helped us kind of better understand that it's about, uh, a more focused on serving a team, serving people, Uh, being considered about performance and development, things like that, as well as giving credit, stuff like that. So um, it's a big shift in terms of the traditional way we look at leadership, particularly in the West. I should also say this is a very cultural, this kind of superhero leader story is very cultural. But in the West, it's it's almost an opposite move from that place of where we thought of leaders and particularly male leaders as kind of like omnipresent superhero guys who, you know, and we were very authoritarian and, you know, required kind of, almost kind of, um, you know, we were serving them. So how can organizations make that shift? That's a big cultural shift, Tina. You know? So did it give us it any is. information on, on what we could do?
2: Yeah, for sure. So I, I think the first step is recognizing this kind of leadership. So you have to be able to sort of attune yourself to, um, you know, different ways of leading to to be able to see that in your people. And so the research shows that one of the most effective ways of doing this is actually highlighting women's achievement in the workplace. So often it's, you know, highest sales or whatever it is that tends to fall under um, sort of this traditional type of leadership. Those are the sorts of accomplishments that we recognize. But if we highlight other achievements like uh, those that could be found in this servant leadership way of leading, um, then we can sort of um, encourage more women to be leaders by, by highlighting women's achievements.
1: Yeah, it's, it's super, super important that people have a lens. Like, like in my example, my, the group of people around the table just did not have a lens for that kind of leadership. Okay. And so they assumed it, it was my lack of leadership. Um, or that they couldn't understand why I wouldn't step forward and say, yeah, I'm awesome, thanks so much. You know, and maybe I should have, I don't know, uh, I should have paid attention to who they were. But it's kind of, you know, to me it always felt like, and this is the challenge, and and I'm going to use that word natural again, is that when you're good at this kind of leadership, you don't think it's a thing. Like you don't know that there's a name. You just follow your instincts because it is quite different from what you see around you. And so um, women may not have a lens for identifying it themselves and organizations. How, like, how does, and I talk to um, clients about this all the time when they're looking at high potential leaders, they call them high potentials. Well, what's your lens for identifying somebody who has high potential if your current culture says leaders look like one thing and you're looking for something else? So did the article give us any kind of indicators on on that kind of thing?
2: Well, it was more like, um, so if there is a lack of encouragement for women in the workplace, for them to be leaders, and they won't put themselves forward for those roles, you know? Like if yeah. they're
0: yeah.
2: Um, not seeing reflected in what is being celebrated, the kinds of qualities that they bring, they don't, Not only do they not see, because I I, I don't always love when it's brought back to women's own confidence, like they're not confident enough to be leaders, because it's also about the perception. So when you praise um, these other kinds of skills publicly in the workplace, um, other people in the workplace see those as valuable leadership skills. So the perception of what a good leader looks like changes in the company culture. And then also it comes back to that thing where if you can't see it, you can't be it. So that's, you know, goes back to that other point where if they see those kinds of qualities being praised, then other women may see themselves as like, you know, I can do that really well, too. Um, you know, maybe I should put myself forward for an upcoming leadership role.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well, there's so much. We could talk all day about this, and maybe we can come back to it. Uh, Maybe on the LinkedIn page, we should have a LinkedIn Live or something, continue this conversation sometime. But um, thank you, Tina, for sharing that, and thank you for all you do and your great work with the Leap. We'll talk to you soon. Well, thank you, Leanne. It's always fun. Okay. Take care. Okay, so now I'd like to welcome Christina Sacchifio to the show for her segment, The Inclusion Zone. Christina is the principal consultant and owner of Boldly Inclusive, a consulting and training firm specializing in diversity, equity, and inclusion, a professional educator, strategist, and community ed- engagement specialist. She's developed a unique inclusion first approach to designing, implementing, and evaluating complex DEI initiatives. Christina's got an MBA, an MA, and she's a 2019 certified Canadian inclusion professional. Christina, welcome back to the show. Hey, how are you, Leanne? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Happy International Women's History Month. And, and happy International Women's Day History Month to you, too. <laughs> we, we've made it so complicated, haven't we? <laughs> I know.
4: I realized that as it was coming out of my mouth. I thought, wow, that's quite a tongue twister. <laughs>
1: Could not keep that one simple. That's okay. That's okay. So, Christina, um, I'm so excited. We're gonna, I'm going to get right to the topic because um, I'm mm-hmm. excited to discuss this. And um, I know that we've talked about this for a while. Um, so, you're going to talk to us about code switching today. And we do need to start because a lot of people have absolutely no idea what this is. Um, or they might have an inkling, but they're not sure. So tell us, what is code switching? Mm-hmm.
4: Okay, so code switching at its most basic level is when a person adjusts the way they speak according to their audience, right? So, for example, um, you know, speaking to your grandmother, you might speak using <laughs> different language or you know, different yes. expression versus when you speak with like a close sibling, right? Um, so it's something that we tend to do every day. Right. But in workplaces, uh, code switching can be much more political. It can look different and it can feel different and the impact can be different for different people as well.
1: Okay, so I'm going to tell I'm going to share an example of something that I did and I'm going to ask you if this is code switching. Okay. So, okay. So, in the last couple of years, I've switched. I've transitioned from the nonprofit sector to the for-profit sector, and I've started doing work uh, within organizations around building leadership programs. And I'm um, also been part of, you know, the sales process, and really enjoy kind of that piece in terms of trying to solve the problem for the client. So, note how I said that. Mm-hmm. That's what I mm-hmm. love to do in a conversation right. with somebody when we were talking about the sales process, I said, I love the kill. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I have never said that in my entire life. I don't like hunting. I, I, I don't um, have that kind of, as we just talked about with Tina, I have a servant leadership style <laughs> and I have never looked at um <laughs> No sales that way, and I, and I was embarrassed. I was just like, "Wow, I haven't said that before." Like I said that, and um, luckily the person was very nice about it and gracious. But I just thought, what 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 came out? So is that an <laughs> example of where I unconsciously um, code switched?
4: Absolutely, yes. That is a great example of code switching. Um, I think that when it comes to women leaders in particular, you'll you'll hear that. Um, kind of thing coming up. A lot of war metaphors, military metaphors, right. um, and often when that happens, the reason why is because we're much more cognizant of the gender dynamics that are happening around us and right. we're trying to do our best to fit in. So it's a That's little bit true. of that sense of, yeah, feeling like an outsider and trying to do your best to make sure that you can do what's necessary to minimize that feeling of otherness.
1: And and that makes sense. And you know what? The thing is, though, it's uh, sadly, it's not a great tactic, though, because it let me down because I I did it and then I was embarrassed. Uh, Mm -hmm. I couldn't hold it. Like, if you're going to do it, I guess you should probably be more purposeful and hold
4: it.
1: (laughs) But I I looked silly. I sounded silly. Like, it just sounded silly. It wasn't the right place. But I think you're absolutely right that um, in terms of leadership, we do that. Um, and women mm-hmm. particularly do that in terms of like, this is what leadership looks like here. Um, so, but why? Okay, so tell me. So, that's an example of me. I'm a white woman. That happened. I, you know, I was able to recognize it. Um, but I feel like when we're talking about um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and again, not that that isn't political, but um, when it comes to DEI, there's something even deeper going on, isn't there?
4: Yeah, what so would it be? I, so Why is it, it important? Yeah, so um, I don't I don't want you to think, you know, less of your experience, right? No, of, thank you. you. Know, that going into the camp. Because, no, it really is. Yeah. it's, it's, no, a it's comment, true. It's no, a thank you. On, yeah, and it's a comment on DEI and what that looks like within these conversations, these larger yes. conversations of code switching, right? But, yeah, you're absolutely right as well that when it comes to women of color, when it comes to women who are experiencing intersectionalities. Um, you know more broadly the stakes can be very high right so well and can I ask because I think
1: what that. I meant was I think yeah. it's insidious I think it's actually like it's a deeper I don't my experience was a deep kind of uh, story that I held about leadership and for and probably corporate and sales but um, mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like uh, potentially women of color it's imposed on them
4: Exactly. Yep, that's that's bang on um, exactly what the situation is, right? So, you know, when you think about what it looks like and, and the reason why, um, you know, behind it, um, ultimately what you'll see is that women are coming into the workplace, they're adjusting the way they speak, the words they use, accents, um, expressions, right? Even when it comes to the way you present yourself, you know, your clothing, um, your hair. I know with me having natural hair, that's a big, um, you know it's a big decision that I have to make in terms of what will this look like and will I be accepted into certain spaces. Um, right. You know, my interests um, that I talk about within the workplace, all of this, um, you know, is done with, at the back of your mind, you're also thinking about, am I making people feel comfortable? Am I making them feel that I belong? So ultimately what it comes down to, sort of connecting the dots, is that it is, it's about aligning with dominant culture, right? So it's avoiding being stereotypes. It's avoiding being seen as you know, quote unquote, um, you know, wanting to be acceptable, quote unquote. Um, but ultimately, all of this is done based on like white male heteronormative middle class norms at the end of the day, and wanting to belong within those spaces, or at least show that you belong within those spaces.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. It's um, okay. So I so I know this this happens. I, I wasn't fully aware that it it was called a thing. I love talking to you Mm because you're always um, helping me understand this stuff better Um, but one of the things that you've just done a very good job of sharing what it means one of the things that stood out most was what you just said about how do we make others comfortable Mm -hmm. and that I just felt this big sadness about around that because that's what is driving it, isn't it? It's it's a kind of, it, 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 so we can, it, there's a political side, which is kind of like fitting into the normative culture, but there's an emotional mm-hmm. side, which is, I don't want the other person to feel uncomfortable because of me. And that mm-hmm. that's very, I just find that very sad that we're having to manage difference that way.
4: Yeah, no, it's um, absolutely, and it gets to your, you know, the core identity at the end of the day. Um, you know, when I think about code switching, um, you know, one of the examples that I come up with is uh, a friend of mine from high school who, uh, you know, for many years, we'd all called her a certain name, and she said, actually, you know what, many years later, she said, actually, you know what, my name's actually pronounced very differently, but I figured this is the way that everyone else mm-hmm. can manage to pronounce my name, so I just went with it and adopted that. Right. Wow. Um, and yeah, it happens yeah. so frequently. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about it from that perspective, it's so pervasive. Um, and at the same time, it is so deep in terms of what the impact is. And it's something that so many of us take for granted.
1: It's true, you know, and I, I find it even when I go like on a kind of a popular culture note, when I go to the somewhere like the Mandarin and mm-hmm. they've Anglicized everybody's name, um, and so I look at that and go, that's corporate code switching. Like that's kind of like there's a, there's a policy there. That's not each mm-hmm. individual person. And then when I was recently in graduate school, um, I came across a number of people who were using English names and they were often international students from somewhere like China or there were South Asian students who'd say the, my name is a little too hard to pronounce, so just call me.
3: And mm-hmm. I would always say, yeah.
1: I would love, I would love for you to help me pronounce your name properly because I mm-hmm. want to call you by your proper name. If you really choose not to, um, then that's fine. And it's interesting because people uh, either appreciated that, or I had one woman saying, "No, you'll just bit- butcher my name," <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, that's about <laughs> that's about that. Okay, fair enough, fair enough." Um, but it happens a lot, and I, I see it a lot in Canada, particularly. It did I didn't see it when I lived in the UK? I don't know. I just maybe I didn't wasn't paying attention, but it seems to happen in North America a lot.
4: Mhm well, I think that you know when we're thinking about um North American experiences um they tend to diverse very wide they tend to be very di- uh, very very widely because um, the Canadian context looks very different from the U.S. context. Like when we're talking about code switching um, here in Canada, it, it tends to be much more linguistic. But um, okay. When we're looking at, um, you know, so we're thinking about, you know, immigrant experiences, um, you know, switching between different language or different, um, you know, dialects, for example. When you're looking at the U.S. examples of um, code switching, a lot of the conversations are very linked to racial and cultural identities, right, as well, um, you know, in conversations around, like, um, African-American vernacular English and, you know, use of that in certain spaces and, you know, minimization of that within workplaces and the like. So I think that, you know, each... You know, each area, like you said, um, is having very different conversations about these. Um, I don't know so much about what's happening in the U.S., but I would imagine, I mean, sorry, in the U.K., but I would imagine that um, there, there are probably conversations happening there as well because, um, you know, there is, um, you know, such a growing, like, there, historically, there's been such a growing, um, you know, immigrants community as well. So I'm sure that there are conversations happening there as well around code switching.
1: Oh, for sure. And it also, I think it mm-hmm. depends on the time period and what's happening in the broader political sense. So, um, okay, so we're Absolutely. going to take a little break. <laughs> and uh, Sorry, Christina, we're just yeah. going to take a little break. And then when we come back, Christina, is, we're going to keep talking about this fascinating subject. And then we're also mm-hmm. going to start talking about how it affects new and aspiring women leaders. Back in a sec. Yes. Thanks.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
1: Hi there, this is Liam Picot, the host of The Leadership Leap. Thank you for listening to the show. Before I stepped into my first leadership role, I wasn't sure about becoming a leader. I was worried I didn't have the skills or confidence to do it well. When I did move up, I always say that I attended the What Not To Do School of Leadership as I knew all the things I didn't want to do, but I was less clear about the kind of leader I wanted to be. So I had to learn that the hard way. That's why I created my online leadership program, also called the Leadership Leap. I help new and aspiring women leaders to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so you can avoid some of the mistakes I made and make a more successful leap into leadership. Through over 20 video lessons, monthly group coaching, and homework exercises that help you put the learning into action right away, you will discover who you are as a leader and learn how to inspire others. You will also be part of a growing community of other fabulous new and aspiring leaders just like you. Find out more and sign up to learn with me at leadershipleap.net and use coupon code RADIO for an extra $100 off just for listening. Make the leap into becoming the kind of leader you most want to be. Hi there, this is Liam Picot, the host of The Leadership Leap. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Before I stepped into my first leadership role, I wasn't sure about becoming a leader. I was worried I didn't have the skills or confidence to do it well. When I did move up, I always say that I attended the what not to do school of leadership as I knew all the things I didn't want to do, but I was less clear about the kind of leader I wanted to be. So I had to learn the hard way. That's why I created my online leadership program, also called The Leadership Leap. I help new and aspiring women leaders to grow your confidence and your leadership abilities so you can avoid some of the mistakes I made and make a more successful leap into leadership. Through over 20 video lessons, monthly group coaching, and homework exercises that help you put the learning into action right away, You'll discover who you are as a leader and learn how to inspire others. You will also be part of a growing community of other fabulous new and aspiring leaders just like you. Find out more and sign up to learn with me at theleadershipleap.net and use coupon code RADIO for an extra $100 off just for listening. Make the leap into becoming the kind of leader you most want
3: to be.
0: You are listening to The Leadership Leap with Leanne Pico. You can find out more about Leanne and the program at theleadershipleap.net. Don't forget that you can also send in your questions about all things leadership to Leanne at her email address, info at theleadershipleap.net, and we'll try to answer them on the show. Now, back to The Leadership Leap.
1: Hey, welcome back. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. And um, it's a special day because it's the lead up to International Women's Day. And we're having some great conversations today. Um, this one I've been looking forward to for a long time. So we've been talking to Christina Sakifio from Boldly Inclusive about code switching. And before the break, we were talking about what it actually means. So it's about adapting your language. And we kind of talked about it either sometimes consciously and other times unconsciously, um, trying to fit into a, a, a higher a normative culture. Um, and one of the things that kind of struck me, and I know this, you know, I've been doing social um, justice stuff for a long time but it was how christina said it which is um that people do this to create comfort for others and it's a super interesting piece where we're creating comfort for the dominant culture so christina can you say a little bit more about that like what does what does that say about our culture oh <laughs>
4: that's a, that's a question. big question um- i know sorry <laughs> Yeah, um, it definitely says something about, um, you know, the readiness to have meaningful conversations about inclusion, right, at the end of the day, Um, because I think, you know, so often we have conversations about, you know, bringing your whole self to work, um, you know, being authentic within your space, but if you're in a situation where, you know, you're cognitively in the back of your mind thinking about, um, you know, others' comfort um, and whether your you know true identity um, and your true you know cultural norms, practices, habits, behaviors, interests, um, you know might uh, might conflict with the expectations of others and what others are used to. Um, that's a lot of weight to carry at the end of the day, right? So I think that if we want to have conversations about inclusion, then we need to really start to break down what it looks like to be inclusive, and whether we're making any assumptions about um, you know others' ability to um, you know be safe and, and to feel that um, they can truly bring their whole self into um, certain organizational um, environments. And that's huge
1: because um, when we, as you were talking about that, I was um, it was hitting me that. Uh, how much work this is. This is a lot of work. This is a lot of kind of downplaying who we are in order to make an adjustment to a, a, a wider environment. And then on the other side, what you've just hinted at, and it's really important for us to understand this, is that we spent, and I spent a lot of time, just you know, in fact, just designed a whole new learning module around this piece, which is around people leadership and being authentic and being self-aware and being who we are. And so we have all of these messages coming across saying, be who you are, come to work, be yourself. And now, you know, but, but not too much of yourself, it seems for some people.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, like, when I think about code switching, um, I think of two groups in particular where I just think, okay, well, um, you know, there definitely needs to be some really mindful, um, you know, and and like, courageous conversations around what, um, you know, what the experiences of code switching look like for these groups and specifically what can be done to provide them with a little bit more safety, um, you know, and and a sense of belonging within these spaces. And those two groups are, um, you know, members of LGBTQ2S plus communities um, Mm -hmm. as well as, um, you know, people of colour, right? So when we're thinking about LGBT communities, um, you know, it's, there's this whole question about safety, right? So I think I mentioned it earlier that there's this, um, you know, assumption that we make about, you know, being safe within certain spaces and being able to be authentic and be your whole self. But at the same time, we know that in certain workplaces and in certain regions, it's actually not safe to be out, right? Um, yeah. So how can you bring yourself into those spaces and say, this is who I am, or this is my, you know, experience, you know, simple conversations at the water cooler look different as a result too, right? Because whereas some people are talking about their families and saying, oh yeah, well, I met with, um, you know, me and my wife did whatever, me and my husband did whatever, there's this code switching that happens where, you know, when you don't have that safety, you might be more likely to minimize your difference by saying, well, me and my partner, right, Mm -hmm. and having to kind of keep that up. Um, Or, you know, even suppressing certain elements of your identity or your interest in those conversations in order to be able for you to feel safe, but for you for there also to be a minimization of difference that happens in those conversations, right? So, I think it looks like that in some cases around the conversation around safety, but then when it comes to women of color, and there was this um, great article um, that was done uh, late last year what we start seeing as well is that, um, you know, the conversation about safety shifts into one around, um, you know, this payoff that one must, uh, you know, one must navigate around, um, you know, a dilemma. Do I suppress my cultural identity for career success? Or do I prioritize bringing my whole self to work at the expense of my career and what are the psychological impacts of that, right? So, it's such a meaty piece of the puzzle when we're having this conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, But, you know, when it comes down to the impact, you can see just in those examples what, um, you know, what the stakes are for certain groups and being able to, you know, successfully code switch and to navigate those, um, you know, potentially unsafe or perhaps unwelcoming spaces.
1: Well, and I imagine that that's particular, and such good points, but I imagine it's particularly um, uh, pervasive for women of colour, young women of colour in particular, who are, um, or women of colour of any age, I shouldn't say just young, but those who are kind of wanting to move into leadership positions. Mm-hmm. Like that, it must be, yeah. it's almost an active choice in some organizations to leave themselves behind in order to be seen as a leader.
4: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, and I think, um, you know, you hit two, two key pieces, you know, right on the head with that, is that when it comes to, um, you know, young women of color leaders, right, um, you know, there's... There's this multiple level on which you're judged, right? You're judged on your performance, right? But then you're also judged on these, like, intangible cultural factors that become signifiers of fit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and (laughs) and then thirdly, just as women, women, can I, sorry, Christine, I just want to jump in there because there's a third one as women, which is about their physical appearance.
4: Absolutely, yeah, and that goes back to that conversation around, like, how do you present yourself? Yeah, Um, And and some of that's cultural and
1: some of that's just gender, not just, it's not, it's cultural and gender based.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, um, it's definitely a bit of both. Um, Yeah, so I think, you know, kind of going back to what you were saying in terms of the organization, um, you know, the organization then definitely has a responsibility um, at the end of the day in order to be able to create these safe spaces and, and not to just make assumptions about, you know, safety, about belonging um, and throwing out, you know, buzzwords around, um, you know, bringing your whole self to work, but really, like, unpacking what that means and what some of the barriers are to achieving that as well, right? So the organizations that want to, um, you know, continue to lead in these conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion, like, that becomes an imperative conversation for them.
1: Yeah, it does. Well, mm-hmm. and, and you know, just to link it to, because um, and you're like most women and me, we're not very self-promotional. So I'm going to do this for you, which is that's why your inclusion first approach is so, so, so crucial um, because it is actually the foundation of so many other things that we're trying to accomplish that unless you tackle inclusion and um, elevate, let's say it that way, elevate inclusion and are actively committed to it and visibly committed to it and you know create that like you say that kind of place of safety a lot of these other things are irrelevant
4: yep I know that's that's definitely it I think you know when we think about the inclusion first piece of the puzzle um, you know we're able to start with we're essentially able to start with our stakeholders. We're able to start with our, um, you know, start the conversation off with, uh, you know, the folks who are most impacted by these conversations and ask them, right now, do you feel that you are being included? Do you feel that you belong? Do you feel that you are safe within these spaces? And being able to kind of, um, you know, Look beneath, you know, lift, lift the couch cushions, um, you know, see see what's happening underneath there to have some of those conversations and say, actually, you know what, I do find that, um, you know, within these certain, certain spaces, it's difficult to be myself or it's difficult to, um, you know, there's this expectation that, um, you know, I... I Present myself in certain ways that aren't always, um, you know, the most representative of who I am as a whole person, right? So, um, you know, inclusion first allows us to, you know, start off with those, you know, tough conversations, and then from there, start thinking about, okay, now what does this look like in terms of, you know, creating the type of space, uh, spaces of safety that we need, uh, where people can feel that they're bringing their whole self forward. Absolutely. And that they don't have to feel that air code switching all the time because again, it's such a huge weight to carry.
1: It is. And it's such a good point and you know, and people's voices are, are super important. I would add, however, that it's also strategic um work that needs mm-hmm. to be done. I, I read a A research study of uh, Indian call centers, call centers in India, where people are being educated to be more Western in order to get jobs in call centers. And a number of the people identified they liked the fact that they got that training because they felt like it would get them ahead in the world. So, you know, as Mm -hmm. you say, it's kind of the cultural norm is within the organization, but it's also within the world. Like what, what messages are we giving people? So in the in we've got about um, thirty seconds left, Christina. What uh, (laughs) here we go? Thirty seconds. Fix the world. Um, What what one message would you give to new and aspiring leaders about this issue? What if you could? If you could? If you were a mentor, what would you say?
4: Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the the message to uh, new and aspiring leaders is be discerning about your work environment. Um, you know, and what you find yourself doing to survive. So if you are talking about going in for the kill and that's not your interest or your background, um, you know, be mindful of what that is and why that's happening and then make decisions about whether this is the best fit for you. Um, But also realize that, you know, going out on your own is also something that many women leaders are able to do and do very well doing too, while being able to be true to themselves um, and bring their whole selves to work. Awesome. Okay, and
1: tell us what's your what's your website so people can come and check out your work. Yes, uh,
4: boldlyinclusive.co. Co, um, and then you can also reach me at christina at boldlyinclusive. Co by email. Awesome.
1: Okay, Christina, thanks for being here. We'll see you next month. Can't wait. Oh, thank you so much. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks again to Christina for a fascinating conversation. Um, I just, I love, we could just keep these conversations going for sure. Uh, Next week, but though, we'll be hanging out with Susan Crawford of Meraki Inspired Coaching and talking about being a leader in your own life. And our HR superhero, Gurpreet Karaman is also here to talk about all things HR and personal branding in your leadership journey. In the meantime, hang out with us on Sunday mornings at theleadershipleap.net for a weekly inspiration from me. See you next time.
0: Thank you for joining us this week for the Leadership Leap. Liam Pico invites you to tune in for another engaging program next Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll help you make a successful leap into leadership.